Blog Talk Radio.
Father, for everything that you have done for us. We praise you for leading us on a path that is, is uh, it's a special path. It's a path that uh, gives us an understanding that so many don't have. But yet we see the benefits, the incredible, I, I just praise you because so many, I've gotten so much feedback from so many people. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've heard it with my own ears, dealing with clients from all around the world, uh, hearing testimony from people that are listeners of the program. So many people are waking up. They may be all be at different places in our walk, Father, but we see your handiwork in allowing Satan and the judgments to start occurring at the, in, in the manner that the Bible lays them out in the Olivet Discourse in Revelation 6. Father, I praise you for the moment that I talked to my sister a couple of days ago where she said, oh boy, are we in the middle of the end times, even though she has no understanding of the book of Revelation whatsoever. But... Father, we just praise you and we thank you for everything. We thank you for teaching us, for showing us, for leading us, for helping to steady our path, that can make our path straight, helping us to learn to trust you, bringing us through difficult, fiery trials and, and, and not letting up, not letting up at all and letting those fiery trials continue to, to, to beat us, to beat us down. And then we have to build ourselves back up and to be separated from the flesh and be much closer to you, Father, in the spirit. And you're going to make every, we can tell, you're going to make sure that each and every one of us do not get into a place of comfort, that we stay in a place of continuous discomfort. And that, that knowing that that's going to draw us in closer to you, knowing that that is going to uh, break us uh, and, and build us back up into a place where we draw in closer to you because that's the only place of comfort that we have anymore. 
And that's a good thing, especially as the day grows near. And we know it's near. We just don't know how near. And we estimate probably a couple of years from now. We don't know. It could be sooner. It could be later. But we praise you, Father God, and we thank you for teaching us not to be listening to the YouTubers and not to be disparaging them either, to know that they believe with all of their heart that they're serving you and to continue to pray for them and to remember that at one time we were the ones that were listening to those very same YouTubers, or not the same people, but same similar people giving similar messages, and it it helped us. It moved us along uh, in our walk, and we pray in Jesus' name that the the new... uh, generation of uh, younger and, uh, you know, not necessarily younger, but, you know, definitely different. Definitely some of them are younger uh, YouTubers that are out there that are hearing from you, Father, or at least, you know, they believe they are. Uh, You know, we we praise you for them, Father, because they're touching other people. They're touching people that we wouldn't be able to touch. They're talking about things that we wouldn't wouldn't even bother to talk about because we already have a portfolio of uh, events that we're watching for prophetically. We already know what the most, we've already cherry-picked out what the most important events are, and we're not really worried about uh, lesser events. Um, we're not troubled by, uh, you know, notions that China is going to be overthrown or any of that kind of stuff because we know it's not going to happen. Uh, and we praise you for bringing us to the place where we have such an understanding, not one that's necessarily 100% comprehensive, but one that certainly ha- gives us a stable and steady, steadfast ground to stand upon where we don't get uh, sucked up by every riptide of uh, of uh, hypercycle rapturism uh, that there is out there. We know our time is coming. We know that we're getting closer. We see that we're in the third seal. We praise you for that. We thank you for the trials and tribulations that we're going through, that it keeps us low. And, and uh, maybe we're burned out. Maybe we're tired. Maybe we can't take anymore. Maybe we can barely get up in the morning. But, Father, we just praise you and you know for, for, for whatever it is that you feel is necessary for us to go through because we know that it is in our best interest because your scripture, your word, our Jesus says so. Uh, and we thank you for that. We thank you for Romans 8.28. We thank you for telling us that if we are in love with you and that we are serving you, that 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 you know that, that that there is no condemnation for us that we are in the place that you want us to be and we and we long to be even closer to you and walking closer in your will on a daily basis we pray that you will show us that way that you will lead us to that golden awesome uh glorious uh peace-filled trust-filled place that can only come by dwelling in the secret place of the most high and living in a place of trust having no place to turn to no trust in ourselves no bank account that we can depend upon and living day by day in that trust, knowing that you are our father and that you are going to take care of us no matter how difficult things get, even if it feels like at times, sometimes that you, you may be distant, but we know that this is the end times. The throne room is incredibly busy, that there are dynamics happening all over the world that we're completely unaware of uh, and that we're being lied to from every direction, from virtually every source of information on the Internet. And we have to go the extra mile to try to sort it out and figure out what's true and what isn't. But we praise you for the wisdom to be able to do so. We thank you for keeping us with a sober and steady mind. And we pray in the name of Jesus more than anything that we walk forevermore, forevermore in your will. In Jesus' name we pray and we thank you, Father. We praise you for every day, no matter how hard it is. Amen.
Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So I'm going to I'm just going to say this up front, because every time I'm like hyper tired or I have a glass of wine during the during the program or whatever the case is, you know, I always get emails and everybody's like, are you OK? Are you OK? And, you know, and that's because most of the time I would say about nine out of 10 shows. If No, probably more than that, probably more like 29 out of 30 shows, if not more. Um, I'm usually well slept. Um, I'm, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I, the Holy Spirit takes over. My energy level is relatively rejuvenated. Sometimes I'll even dare to have a cup of coffee, which of course with my insomnia, that doesn't help much. But, um, uh, but anyway, and then I get these emails, God bless you all. And I thank you for your compassion and your, and your, um, you know, your, your, uh, you know, sharing with me your concern and how are you doing? Are you feeling okay? Johnny, maybe you need to take a few days off. I get that a lot. Um, it, it, it isn't like that. That The story, it, I, you know, I'm 60. I'm going to be 61 in about, this is just like unbelievable for me. I would have bet dollars to donuts that I was going to be dead by the year 2000 because of the way I was living. And I was once saved, always saved. So I could live any way that I wanted to. So anyway, um, you know, the very idea that I'm going to be 61 by March is so mind-blowing that I really can't process it. And quite frankly, I don't care. Um, uh, at the end of the day, it really doesn't mean anything to me. I'm the type of person that I'll cut my hair, you know, a, you know, like a buzz job. I'll look like Beetle Bailey, and I don't really think about it. You know, the, the hairstylist is kind of like thinking to myself, are you sure you really want me to cut it that short? Are you sure you really want me to do this, you know? Because she's like, she, she sees my hair standing out, and she wants, you know, she's thinking that I want, I care about how I look, you know, for the opposite sex. And the reality is I don't give a rip what I look like to the opposite sex. I have absolutely zero interest in the opposite sex. <laughs> okay. But anyway, that's all beside the point. The point is that, um, you know, today was um, 
exceedingly difficult. The day before was exceedingly difficult. The week before was unbelievably difficult. I have been through... I don't even want to, you know, it's just amazing. Uh, one of the things that I'm going through right now, which is why I'm so exhausted I can barely function at the moment, other than the fact that I had no time to eat or anything, and gave away all my Thanksgiving leftovers to somebody who was much more needy than me. Believe me, I got I got the belly to prove it. Um, but anyway, uh, not because I overeat. I'm just one of those people that you know has that running in their family, and you you know the unfortunate ones of us that have that DNA where we gain weight, you know, just by looking at a table of food. Um, unfortunately, and that's a reality. I mean, the the the, the, the thin people that you know have have the less efficient. Uh, metabolisms, they just say, oh, you're just a fatty, you just overeat, you're just a pig, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and that's, that's not true. That, and, and it's just because they're, they lack intelligence. They have, they have enough um, ability to form words to say mean things, but they really don't have the intellectual capacity to understand exactly the difference of, between various metabolisms and the DNA and blah, 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 and all that other stuff. But anyway, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, when, when, you're, you know when, you're, when you're approaching 61, um, and you're getting bombarded. Um, you know, Hurricane Ian bashed the heck out of Florida, as we all know. Uh, we, then right after that, we got nailed with Nicole, which didn't make matters any wor- or better with the insurance companies. And then, of course, there was a multi-tens of billion-dollar fraud that was committed down in Florida over the last two years, where they would have where these people would come up and knock on the door of, I suppose, less suspecting or maybe cooperative fraudsters, and they would say, "Hey, we can get you a new roof. Let us do a roof inspection for you." And I don't know what the, who, who said what to when, to where, to why, to how, but the bottom line is the scam was that the people that were doing the roof inspector had cleats on their um, roof inspection and cleats on the bottom of their shoes, and they were intentionally poking holes in the um, uh, uh, um, plywood, and then um, – you know, it would rain and the roof and the leaks would come through and then they could file this like massive homeowner's insurance claim. And it was happening all over the state of Florida, um, you know, by the tens of thousands. Okay, so you take you, 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 when you do the math, the bottom line is the insurance companies in Florida have they wanted to leave. So after Charlie, uh, Charlie, um what was the other one? Charlie, Florence, uh, I, I, I want to say Ian, but it wasn't. It was something like Ian. Uh, there were, it started with an I, and anyway, there was a fourth one. So there were actually four hurricanes that hit Florida in 2004, and everything changed. All the insurance companies packed up their bags. They literally did. All state, uh, you know, nationwide, farmers, all of them. They just said, see you later, alligator, and they packed up their bags. They were moving their offices, and the Florida State Insurance Commission came out and said, no, no, please don't go. And, um, you know, because, of course, then they can't. Houses can't sell because the mortgagers will not sell a house without insurance. So um, it was a disaster. And then, of course, the Florida State Insurance Commission had to cut all kinds of deals, and we'll give you this incentive, that incentive. You can get away with this. You can get away with that. And, of course, it hurt the consumer. But they were, but but it hurt and helped the consumer. So that's the interesting paradox about it is that they saved the state, the state's ability to sell real estate, which would have been lost. Uh, 
the only option that they would have had is was what they did create, by the way, and it's it's the equivalent of SR22 uh, car insurance for homeowners. Okay, so um, basically, um, uh, and and anybody who's ever had to get for whatever reason, SR22 car insurance in the United States of Babylon the Great knows that that'll that'll sink your budget. You're toast. Okay, your 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 hundred dollar a month insurance that's got comprehensive and everything else on it and free rental and all that roadside assistance, that's gone. Now you're paying four hundred dollars a month. Okay, well. So with the roofing fraud in Florida that lasted for years, that caused another riff where the new uh, state subsidized insurance companies that became alive and, you know, they just came up, you know, out of nowhere. <clears throat> there are a bunch of no-name companies. You don't, nobody knows them. All right. Uh, there, there's no nationwide down here. I think the only one that's a relatively large one that still operates down here is uh, AAA because they, they tell everybody, here's what they do. They go, hey, we're AAA uh, insurance and we're a Florida company, so we're going to give you a great deal on homeowner's insurance. And they send you this gigantic 8.5 by 11 big folder, <coughs> excuse me, and all kinds of stuff. And then we'll bundle your car and we'll save you all this stuff. And you call them up and you have to fill out all these forms. And then you get this young person on the call and she's like well the first question we need to ask you is how old is your roof and you go oh it's 13 years old and they're like oh we're sorry sir we only take um uh applicants that have roofs that are only 10 years old i like the average roof in a ha roof <clears throat> on a home has a 30-year warranty on it. And they're like, well, we don't care because it's prorated, and so we're still responsible for paying this. Idea. So we want you to have less than 10 years on your roof, which is ridiculous because really what they're telling you is they want you to pay $18,000 every 10 years out of your pocket to make them happy. That's really what they're saying. Anyway, so I know it sounds insane, but then uh, in the middle of all that foray, <coughs> and I don't know why my throat is scratching. Well, I'm not. I'm, let's take some. Uh, <clears throat> what is that stuff called? Colloidal silver. I'll take some colloidal silver. I told you I'm exhausted. I can barely. I'm really exhausted. If I didn't have a show tonight, I'd already be in bed. Last night I went to bed at 6:30, believe it or not, and I still slept like absolutely horribly. But anyway, um, so. Uh, so then they put together what they call citizens insurance. And what that is, is that's a, kind of a co-op where the tax collectors and the state <clears throat> put together this big kitty of money. And then it becomes this homeowner's insurance SR-22. Here's a problem. You're going to lose your house. You cannot survive. You can't keep your house. It's not possible. Because what happens is the the J.P. Morgan chases and the and the you know the people that write the mortgages, the mortgagers, they will escrow and suck up the money out of your accounts to make sure that you have the money that you need to pay the insurance company. So they add it to your mortgage. Most people know this. Well, when they do that, and your your homeowner's insurance has gone from you know. $2,000 a year to $10,000 a year, <clears throat> divide that by 12, and you will see a number that is, and then, oh, by 
by the way, that's going to get tacked on to your mortgage costs. When you're not able to pay, so so say you're paying uh, $1,300 a mortgage and you get hit by citizens, your mortgage is going to go to almost $3,000, you know, a month. It's going to be like it, very close. All right. You got to understand that that is not that is not a delta that anybody's going to be able to weather unless they're incredibly wealthy and it is a vacation home. So what ends up happening is there's this massive sell off and foreclosure all across the state of Florida. Everybody think, oh, Ron DeSantis, this is great. I can take the kids to Disney World so they can see some homosexual whatevers walking around and um, and and all this stuff. All right. But but at the end of the day. All right. There are every every I, I you know believe it or not as wonderful as Florida sounds to to so many people especially during the winter time up north it's flat it's buggy it's hot as hell and the only place it's hotter than it is like Death Valley in Las Vegas and Phoenix which I don't understand why anybody would live there but anyway whatever to each his own um, but uh, you know it, it it's. It, I, when you first move here, if you're in your late 20s and early 30s or, or even late 30s, you're kind of like enamored. You're like, wow, it's like the Beach Boys and Maruba, Jamaica, oh, and blah, 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 blah. You know, and I go to Kokomo and have a good old time and listen to steel drum bands. And I did that. I did that for, what, the first 10 or 12 years. But I was also seeped in sin. I was a womanizer. I was single. And quite frankly, I was very good looking. All right. Now I look like a Uncle Fester. But that's beside the point because I don't have any interest in any of that stuff. So praise God. So anyway, but, you know, the reason I brought all this up is that tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., to my surprise, with very little warning, the house inspector is coming to do a four-point inspection. Well, I've been here for 22 years. This is a 1978 two-story, 2,000-foot square foot house. And guess what? I can barely swing a hammer. I am a cybersecurity specialist. I am extremely high tech. This house is right front, right out of the Starship Enterprise. Everything is Wi-Fi. The lights are all automatic. I have security cameras all over the place. I'm running the radio show. I've got all kinds of high tech equipment. The problem is I can barely swing a hammer. Okay. I got all the tools in the world. I know what a sawzall is called. I, you know, I got the battery ones and the ones that you plug into the wall, but it ain't my thing. You know, I don't have the ability to, like, my dad never taught me anything, okay? Like, he just didn't. He never taught me how to change oil in a car. He never taught me any of that stuff. When, when I was in college for a very short time, uh, he, uh, I, had to, I found out that I had to rebuild the uh, carburetor on my Datsun B210. So, because I was poorer than a church mouse and could barely feed myself working at Chi-Chi's um, uh, in Columbus, Ohio, I, you know, decided I was going to venture out on a, and I bought myself a manual and I took the carburetor off my Datsun B210. I took it up inside my apartment, spread it out on newspapers on the dining room table, kind of like that one scene in, uh, in the movie War of the Worlds. And, um, and I followed the instructions. Step by step, like I was building a piece of furniture. Take this little gadget off, blah, 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 is that, take, you know, and everything. And I 
I actually succeeded, which blew my mind. I, I remember when I finally turned the last bolt and put the last hose on the thing, uh, and I turned the engine, and it actually started up, and it ran good. And I was like, okay, this is absolutely unbelievable. Because I, I really, truly didn't believe it was going to work. I, I, I had every reason to believe because I had no experience at all doing anything like that, let alone barely changing batteries out of a flashlight, that um, you know, the idea that I could pull that off was just, well, so supernatural and mind-blowing, I, I just couldn't believe it. I really was blown away. But anyway, um, so I guess I have capabilities. The problem is I don't have any training. My dad was just the kind of dad that when it was time to change the oil, he took it to the garage. When it was time to do this, he took it to the garage. When it was time to do that on the house, when there was something that needed to be done, he hired a contractor. That My dad was a musician. That's what he did. He played more instruments than anybody I know. He had a master's degree from Temple University. I mean, you know, he, I'm telling you, you know, so to him, screwdrivers were almost as alien as they are to me. So why is this, why is this material? Well, because when I started to, you know, there's two things that happens. When you own a house as a cybersecurity guy for 22 years, you're not looking for things. You don't spot things. You don't see things that other people that would understand home ownership and understand. You don't, you know, people that are house building, construction, you know, Tim the Toolman Taylor savvy people, they walk through the house and they spot stuff. They know that if you don't clean this vent, you're going to be in big trouble six months down the road. They know that. They know that if you don't fix this thing or you don't, you know, if they spot a little spot on the roof or whatever the case, they, they know it's an emergency. They know they got to break out the big equipment. They know these things. I knew nothing. Now, what that means is I didn't find out that I had a real serious problem in this house until it was really serious. If you know what I mean. So anyway, um, you know, over time, I got smarter, you know, 22 years of time, little by little, as one emergency would pop up after another emergency would pop up after another emergency would pop up. Another problem, another problem, another problem, another leak, another thing, another, you know, and I just finally learned. It took a long time to learn because nobody taught me. It was school of hard knocks. And I thought to myself, why am I paying for this crummy plumber and getting a crummy job when you know, I can put $200 more into this, and it'll last the rest of my life. You know, common sense after a while slowly kicked in. So, and then the miracle of all this, to have the multiple, you know, to have the, this horrible thing with the Florida insurance happening, then to make, to punish us even more, all the home values went up through the roof. Well, guess what? You combine hurricane higher risk fraudulent roof to the tens of billions of dollars. The insurance companies are already floundering on bankruptcy. And then you throw an Ian and a Nicole at them back to back. And then you they find out that your house value is no longer, you know, $140,000. Now it's, you know, $399,000. And they're going like, oh, my gosh, you know, if Hurricane Ian blew that house away, we'd be in the hole. So now that we want to want to rewrite all your insurance, and and I, I so anyway the one the insurance company that I've been been with, with like forever they really flipped out, and they sent this binder. It was like an inch thick. I, I had to, it was like I really honest to gosh I I needed to get a lawyer. 
I needed to get a lawyer and have a lawyer read it because they wanted me to sign power of attorney over, and I had to like set up a special bank account, you know, kind of like an uh, you know FSA account, I think they call it for for you know young families where they stick money away for medical bills or whatever. I don't remember what they call it, but anyway, but you know what I'm talking about. It was it was a co-op, and their the principle of the co-op was as long as the whole co-op is doing good, your rates won't go up. But if the if part of the co-op is sucking wind, guess what? Everybody's rates go up because you're part of a co-op. And I'm like, I do not like this at all because in 22 years, I have not once called a homeowner's insurance. I have never filed a claim, not once. I fix all my own stuff. So anyway, long story short, the Lord did some – Wonderful things. I stumbled across an agency called Harvest. Okay, Barley Harvest, Harvest, Barley Harvest, Harvest. I'm like, Lord, is this you? Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. And then they led me to another company. And they were like, you know, no problem. 13 years, we'll take you. And um, anyway, but what they didn't tell me is after they canceled my other insurance and got everything going with the new company. Now, after I've lost what I did have, now they're sending a, a squad of inspectors over to my house to make a determination on whether or not they're going to keep me or whether or not they're going to, um, you know, jack my rate up. Now, I'm like, this is messed up. Because this reminds me of the job market. Okay, this is just, just so bass-ackwards, it's unbelievable. Where they tell you, hey, we're going to give you a new job. You're hired. You go through this lengthy, multi-person interview. You're, you've been over to their offices. You've been flown up to Atlanta. You've passed all this garbage and nonsense and everything that you got to go through, and it's just absolute misery. You finally get the word that you got the job. You go in. You sit down at your desk. That is if you have one nowadays because a lot of them are doing like Google and Facebook, and they don't really have desks. They call it hoteling, and they just say, you use whatever computer you can find. And you're like, well, everybody's making noise. I can't get anything done. Well, it doesn't matter. It's just too, just too bad. Just put the little flag up on your monitor, and nobody will bother you. Bull. Buck. Okay, but anyway, I turned down I turned down a job for some major jack uh, from Amgen. Uh, they were going to hire me as their uh, director of whatever cybersecurity for you know their whatever, and um and I and uh, I, I I pulled out. I, the whole reason I pulled out, oh, they were ready to send me to Atlanta and meet their executive leadership team and the whole deal. But the problem was, I thought to myself, two things are out of line here. A, I'm going to be in operations and not consulting, which means I'm on 24 by 7 call, and they own my time clock. So if they want me to work 80 hours a week, so be it. I don't have any control. The cool thing about being a consultant is if they want me to work more, they're going to pay major jack, major jack. They're going to be paying about $350 an hour more for those extra hours. They don't like that. So they do everything they can to negotiate stuff on a reasonable level, which allows me to be able to sometimes sleep. So that's kind of a good thing. That, that was one problem. But the other problem was when I got, you know, when I saw the facility and I was like, what? I don't even have, I don't have an office. I don't have a cubicle. I don't have nothing. And I'm like, okay, forget this noise. And I just, I just sent them a nice letter. Thank you very much. But I have reconsidered, you know, my blah, blah, not. I pulled out, but. Anyway, all beside the point, the point is that they broadside you. You go into – you get the job. You're sitting in your cubicle, and then they come back, and they tell you, hey, 
you know, now this has never happened to me, but I know it's happened to a lot of people. I know people that it's happened to. You didn't pass your background check. Sorry, but you're fired. What? You hired me. I gave up my old job. I'm sitting here. I was at my old job for five years, six years, seven years, and I'm sitting here in your office now. You gave me an offer letter, and here I sit, and you're telling me that my background check didn't pass? See, I can tell you one thing for sure. If I take another job, I will either start my own business or I will, which is probably what I'm going to have to do because I just can't tolerate working. There's a point in your life where you outgrow corporate America. There's a point in your life where you're like, I am not taking an order from one of, the, from one of these jack and apes one more time. I'm not doing it. And I'm definitely not going to sit in one of their boardrooms with a bunch of, I don't know what you want to call them. Did you know that there's over, they have something like 300 different uh, LGBTs now? There aren't even, like, you know, I was joking around uh, uh, about a year ago. Uh, I started making cracks about, well, there's so many letters now, LGBT, LMNPQRSDUV. My, my goodness, I guess we're going to have to add the Chinese alphabet here pretty soon. Well, guess up. Guess what? They're now up to 300 of them. Just when you think there's a limit to how sick and twisted the stuff we're going to have to go through is going to become, you realize there is no limit. There is no limit. And if things continue on the track that they are, which I think they will, it's going to be much, much, much worse. And that will bring on persecution of the Christians in this country on a level that has never been seen before. And it's going to get bad. It's going to be bad. The question is, is the barley harvest going to be here that long? Maybe so, but we don't know. Um, kind of almost sounds like it when you listen to the Olivet Discourse from Jesus. Okay, Mark, that's Luke 21, um, sorry, Luke 21, Matthew 13, Matthew 24, and, and, and Mark 13, okay? Very important, probably three of the most important books in the, uh, in, you know, chapters in the entire Bible. Uh, along with Revelation chapter 6, if you understand the metaphors, which most people don't. All right, but anyway, um, so in the same spirit of that absolutely ridiculous dynamic where you quit a job where you have tenure, long-time experience, la, 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 all this other stuff, lots of vacation, blah, blah, and you go over to a new job because you think you're looking at a better opportunity and, you know, all this other stuff, and uh, and then they come and they tell you, oh, sorry, <laughs> you know. Oh, and by the way, if they want to get rid of you for whatever reason, they'll find a way. I've watched them. I've watched <laughs> The evil in corporate America that I have experienced firsthand I – wrote, I wrote the policy for a company that was a Fortune 100 company, which means they're making over $20 billion a year, minimum. All right, and I, I worked for them for about five years. I'll leave their name out. And um, I wrote their information security policy for all – for the whole worldwide company. Okay, They had – I don't know. I can't remember. Five locations in South America. I think it was 13 locations in EMEA. And um, – I wrote their information security policy. I put together their entire information uh, security program. I wrote everything. I put. I did everything. I did everything. I come everything. Absolutely everything by myself. Um, and um, uh, but that's what they hired me to do. They brought me in. They, they. This is what they said. They said we're bringing you in as a sharpshooter from the industry because we need to build an information security program and we want you to help us do it. That's what they said to me during the interview process. I'm like, okay, cool. But anyway, um, you know, so 
I wrote this information security policy, and, and it was very good. As a matter of fact, a lot of the language that's in there I'm still using even today. But the point is this. I literally watched two managers. They had this one guy on the team that they didn't particularly care for. They just didn't like his personality. He never did anything wrong. They just didn't care for his personality. So what they did is they read through the information security policy that I had written, and they used it as a weapon to fire him with no warnings, no write-ups, no three strikes you're out, nothing. <laughs> they just called HR and said, oh, look, he broke the policy. Escort him to the front door. Go say goodbye. And I'm like going, you, gotta be, you can't be that evil. But they were. And that's how it is in, you know, now a lot of the smaller companies, the ones that make under $500 million a year, especially if they're making under $100 million a year. If a company is making under $100 million a year, they, I'm not saying they're necessarily fun to work for necessarily, but they can be. If it's a white-collar job working for what's known as a small company, which is typically under $100 million a year, you're probably having a good time when you're working. Um, now, I'm not saying that you don't have busy days. I'm not saying you don't have bad days. and I'm not saying that there aren't going to be times that the customers aren't snarky, <clears throat> snarky on the phone and all that kind of stuff. You know, good and bad always comes. But the smaller the company, the more white color it is, and the smaller it is, the more fun it is to work, the more camaraderie it is. You know, everybody's first name. You're not just a number. They, you know, they're not going to do layoffs. They have no reason to do layoffs because they don't overhire, blah, 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 that kind of thing. So you're very, very fortunate. You're very, very blessed if that's where you are and where God has put you today. However, if you are working in, if you will, white shirt and tie corporate America, you're in a very bad spot right now. And we all know it Um, and uh, and, because we see the numbers. We see what's happening. We see the restructuring. We see the reorganizations. We see how we're being treated. We we know that. Well, anyway, long story short, long story long. Um, the uh, I get sideswiped. Of course, of course, the the young ladies who hooked me up with my new policy and quickly quick, quickly moved me over and quickly canceled my old one. They really didn't tell me all the stuff that was involved in the four point inspection. They conveniently left out a lot. <laughs> okay, so I'm like on holy camoly. So I ended up having to hire a contractor, somebody that helps me do different things, help me paint, whatever, and to come out today and spend the entire day ripping apart my garage, taking down shelving, moving stuff around, because the guy has to have free access to the hot water heater. And I had a gorilla shelf that was installed because there's not a lot of storage space in Florida. That's another thing. You don't have any basements here. Okay, you're on a you're on a flat. You know, uh, it's called a concrete, concrete slab. And uh, so so get, get, guess what? <laughs> so any, you know, you're coming from the north and you have these basements. You've got part of your basement's cardened off for storage and you got all your summer stuff and your folding chairs and all and your pull things and none of that in Florida. Uh-uh. No, you got to go out of your way just to find a place to stick your, if you buy what, you know, if you're a Christmas tree person, you get, I mean, it's a pain. Everything, everything is hard uh, as far as storage is concerned. So gorilla shells are gold. If you you know if you don't have two cars in a two car garage and you only have one car like me, so I just put gorilla shells all around the thing and then it, that helps you get get by with storage. But anyway, guess what? I got to tear that all down because this inspector needs to get to the hot water heater. Now if this guy comes in and tells me that I need a new hot water heater, get this crap. <laughs> Sorry for the crap word if you don't if, if you find that offensive. I don't mean to be offensive, but I'm just saying, get this. 
if for whatever reason he decides that the hot water heater is too old or whatever the case may be and he doesn't like it, whatever. I mean, it's, 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 it's as beautiful, white, and clean as it was the day that I bought it at Lowe's. And it's 100 gallon, which you can't buy anymore. They only make 80. I'm sorry, 800 is the biggest. Get this. When I bought that at Lowe's, 100 gallon, 100 gallon hot water heater, it was $380. That same 80, uh, uh, now 800 gallon, so it's, you know, 200 gallons less. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know. A hundred, uh, yeah, a couple hundred gallons less. Um, no, uh, whatever. I can't do math right now. I told you I'm too exhausted. But anyway, it's, it's 800 versus, I'm sorry, I'm thinking thousands. It's an 80 gallon versus a 100 gallon, which is a 20 gallon difference. But the point is this. If I buy a new, because I'm being forced to, hot water heater, when my current one is perfectly good, instead of it being $380, it is now $2,789. Yes, you heard me right, $2,789. So anyway, my I was talking to my boss about this today because I was troubled by it and also because I had changed four shirts because I was working so hard in between conference calls with customers and all this other craziness that I have to take care of with my job and um, running up and down the stairs, moving shelves, moving this, moving that, covering this, you know, patching this, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, making sure, you know, doing everything that I possibly could because I had to read between the lines. I didn't know he was going to look in my attic. I didn't know he was going to look in my attic. So he's going to look at the roof, but it didn't tell me that, you know, I had to really read between the lines. And I'm like, oh, daggone it. So then I had to go clean that up because I didn't want him to see anything that, you know, I didn't want him to see, you know, whatever. Because 22 years, your attic can get pretty dorked up. So anyway, especially if it's a crawl space. Now, if it's a, if it's a big old full-size attic, that's easy. You just sweep it and keep it clean and all that kind of stuff. No big deal. But if it's a crawl space, that's a pain because you can't get up in it. You can only stick your head and shoulders up in it a little bit if you're small, I, small enough. Now, if you're really small, I had Tico come over, the electric company come over to do a energy audit, and they actually sent a true midget. I, I was surprised that he didn't break out into like, we represent the lollipop king. But the guy was a true midget. He was a little bitty guy, and he comes over the door. I'm like, I'm looking out the door. I don't see anybody there. Knock, knock, knock. And I open up the door, and there's this little bitty man. And he's like, hi, I'm from Tampa Electric Company. I'm here to do your energy audit. Well, they hire those little people to crawl up the ladders and go into the what they call crawl spaces, which is which are very popular here in Florida. But anyway, I digress. Praise God. Uh, that's why. So I spent <laughs> I spent 30 minutes explaining to everybody why I'm so uh, beat and ready to drop dead. Um, but um, and 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 the frustrations of living in Florida. It ain't like people think. Once the palm trees wear off, you got nothing. Okay, just letting you know. Once the palm tree stuff wears off, you got nothing. And people will be like, you know, people from up north, they're going to be like, oh, no, I love the palm trees. I love the beach boys. I'm going to spend all my time in, and we're going to be at the Clearwater Beach. We're going to be at St. Pete Beach. We'll be living down there. We're going to be there every single weekend. My goodness, we'll never be at home. We love, 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 love the beach. Bunk! 
you're going to love the beach for a while like everybody else. It's just like the folks up in Michigan. They're like, I hate this now. I hate this now. I hate, 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 hate this now. Then they come to Florida and they're like, I hate the alligators. I hate the giant palmetto bugs. I hate the fact that, the fl- that everything is flat and there's no mountains. There's nothing to do. And all you can do is go to the beach. And, and, you know, and, then they're like, and then, you know, it's like, you know how it is. Grass is always greener. The reason why the grass is always greener is because the greener grass is fake. That's why it's greener. It's fake. All right. Anyway, praise God. So, uh, anyway, on that note, kids, are you ready for some? Uh, so, uh, so anyway, don't be, please. In the name of Jesus, you don't have to rate me. I love your sympathy. God bless you. Always feel free to rate me at jbaptist777 at gmail.com. Ask me questions. I had somebody recently, you know, write me, uh, you know, about the ceremony, vision, asking some questions. I thought it was great. Uh, She thought she was imposing. I'm like, no, I like talking to people and the guests of this radio show 10,000 times more than I like working my job. I would, you know... What, what can I say? <clears throat> I would love to be able to serve the Lord full time, but that is not what the Lord had in design for me. Okay, so my I am who I am. My calling is my calling. Now, if the Lord gives me a green light to make some changes, that's a different story, and I'll know because you know He'll He'll open the door wide, and I'll know that that's I will check, and I'll even confirm it through casting of lots if I need to. Praise God. But at this moment, right now, I'm just kind of riding the. We'll call it the ugly wave. Uh, but anyway, I, and I won't get into all the things that happened over Thanksgiving. I could tell you about my discovery of another hmm, eight additional electronic devices that are expensive that were blown up by the uh, lightning strike that occurred, what, several, several months ago before Ian? Um, I thought it was only going to be about $5,000 worth of loss. Uh, no, 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 no. It's a lot more than that. But I didn't realize it because I really wasn't messing around with the home entertainment system that's downstairs in the family room where I entertained during Thanksgiving, right? So I'm down there working with that, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this thing is blown up. This thing is blown up. That's blown up. I have a pile of electronics sitting beside the front door of my house that all has to be replaced. <laughs> so... To add on to the 5000 that I lost from the lightning strike. Now, I could have called my homeowner's insurance, you see, and I could have gotten them to pay for much, much of that, if not all of it. But I didn't. However, they're still going to fly drones over my house on Friday. Yes, you heard me right. They're going to back up some men with paramilitary gear. They're going to come come out of their black, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, what do they call those things? Tahoes. And they're and they're going to come around, you know, and fly drones with cameras around my roof and look at every single shingle. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> are you kidding me? So then I had to hire somebody just before the radio show to come over because the one that was working, when a person is very exhausted and I can tell they're exhausted and they're working for me, I will not let them get on a ladder. I won't. So I told her to go home. And then I had, then I called another guy and I offered him some money and he needed it. And so he came over and he's a ladder guy. He climbs up and down ladders like, like a monkey. And um, I'm not going to do it at my age and in my shape because I'll surely slip and fall and then I'll be in traction and I'll have to do the radio show from the inside of some, you know, rehabilitation center until Jesus comes. And I don't want to go there. So anyway, um, thank 
thank you, Jesus. They did come over. They went up with a gas blower uh, that I gave them, and they blew off all of the roofing, which is good. Because providing that we don't have another storm before now and Friday, um, the drone people should not see anything that troubles them, is what I'm hoping. But the very idea that they're using drones and looking at it that closely to me is like, it makes me wonder if they're checking to see if I was one of the people that participated in the cleat fraud. Like they're looking for little bitty holes in the, in the, uh, in the shingles. I don't know. It is the weirdest thing I've ever heard of, but that's what they're doing. So I had them go up with a gas blower and blow all the leaves off because I have a lot of trees. And in case you don't know this, insurance companies hate trees. <laughs> okay? So my trees have to be very well behaved. All right? So anyway, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So it got all blown off. So we'll see what happens. But 8 o'clock tomorrow morning, i got to wake up. Of course, that's right at the end of my prayer time, which I hate that. But oh well. Uh, and then uh, and I'm going to have to stumble downstairs and, you know, let the guy in, let him look around and pray. I'm going to be on my knees praying like crazy uh, that I pass the inspection because... The options are not good, uh, but I already told you that. All right, kids, joke. All right, now we're going to be bringing on live Muhammad any second now. So, kids, I, I'm sorry, but you're just going to have to deal with this. I'm only going to do one joke. Okay, I'll do two. What do you call a cat with no legs? You can call her whatever you want, but she ain't coming. <laughs> Vera, that one's for you, kids. Come on. You like that one? There you go. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. What's green and smells like paint? What's green and smells like paint? Green paint. <laughs> green paint smells like green paint, right? Come on, kids. Ah. All right. That's it, though. I'm going into the news. i got to hurry. Ah, well, that's just too doggone bad. That's just too good. Tell Santa or whatever, whoever you talk to, you know, the people that light the uh, Hanukkah or, or, or the uh, Hanukkah. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? It's not normal. It's just wrong. Uh, it's not normal. This is And, um, hey, uh, Muhammad, if you're holding on the line or you're about to hold on the line, please hang in there for me. We're going to run probably about eh, maybe about five minutes after eight, maybe eight minutes after eight. But we get, we can go all the way till 930 Eastern time. So you do have a whole extra half hour if you feel led by the Holy Spirit to share more in your testimony. So it's not it, it feel it might seem like I'm running overtime into your time, but not really because we have that extra half an hour of buffer. So hang in there for me. I'll be right with you. All right. Let's keep on going into the news. Here we go. Praise God. WorldNet Daily reports, alarms are sounded. Democrats will try to kill, now they put that in all capital letters, K-I-L-L, Trump if the raid on Mar-a-Lago fails. Okay? It's a whole article on it. And um, it mentions names of experts and, and uh, this particular New York Police Department Commissioner, Bernard Carrick, who is going very clear. I mean, he, this guy is like on a circuit. 
He's going on all kinds of shows, all kinds of media outlets, and he is warning people, because obviously he's in the know, that Trump's life is at stake. All right. Now, that follows suit, by the way, with the prophecies, dreams, and visions that show Donald Trump in a casket. So he doesn't have to make it to the 2024 election, you see. Okay, uh, before the civil. So basically, they could, you know, they could take Trump out. I've already told you about Bill Gates saying that, you know, in 2016, Bill Gates came forward, and that, you know, that's Satan incarnate right there. Okay, so if Bill Gates is saying it, he's speaking on behalf of Satan directly. All right, no doubt about it. All right, so he's he's and he's coming out and he's saying hey, Donald Trump reminds him of uh, JFK. Well, what that is is an, it's Illuminati code for we're going to kill him. All right. And then you've got uh, this is a godly sign, if you ask me, Trump doing doing the thing in front of the Lincoln Memorial right after pandemic started with Fox News and Brett Baer and whatever. All right. Um, and, and again, how much symbolism do you need? Never mind. Uh, his wife, you know, did what Jassy and Jackie Onassis did with the, you know, the flower garden and the rose garden and everything over at the White House. There is so much symbolism there. And there are so many parallels there. It is undeniable. It is unbelievable. It is unreal that anybody wouldn't think about it. But then to have this ex-police commissioner who's obviously well-connected warning everybody on a circuit and going around and, and he's not shutting up. It's not like he said it once. He's going on every single TV show, radio show he can get himself on and telling people they're going to kill him. They're going to kill him. They're going to kill him. What does he know? Who does he know? Makes me wonder. Next one up. According to this article, it says it's the Holy Spirit talking board for you to have as a guaranteed demon-free seance with Jesus. Did, did you hear me right? Well, I'm going to read to you. Now, that was from the article on Now the End Begins, but this is the actual product on Amazon.com. It is entitled The Holy Spirit Board by Holy Spirit Games, Christian Religious Talking Board for Seance with Planchette. I don't know what Planchette is. I don't care what Planchette is. It's irrelevant. Don't bother telling me because I really just don't. Forget it. This is an Ouija board, and they will become demon-possessed thinking that they're... Uh, not sad. All I can say is, all right, next one up. A difficult time for everyone. CNN confirms big staff layoffs. So, again, it goes on to explain they hired a new leader, this, that, and the other thing. They're coming up with a new programming strategy, uh, and they're getting ready to lay off a whole bunch of people. And that's the story of the day. It's happening everywhere. They did admit, though, that the tech layoffs that are happening at an alarming rate, while they are definitely uh, equal to the what they're calling the Great Recession, which I do not know what that means, because there's no such thing as a Great Recession. There's a Great Depression. Now, I realize that a recession is a shorter depression, but that's irrelevant. So I don't know what they're talking about. But they did say that the tech layoff is not anywhere near as big as the bubble burst, the Internet bubble burst, in 2000-2001. That was huge. All right, praise, which, is, which, by the way, is, I'll take that as good news. If we can get some good news, we'll take good news. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one out. Climate alarmists set their sights on a new target. 
your dog. So it's not bad enough that they, you know, don't want you to have cows. They don't want you to eat beef. They don't want you to do anything. They don't want you, they want you to wear 15 masks. They want you to, ha- you know, sit alone at Christmas time. Uh, you know, so, so, anyway. Why isn't Fauci hanging from a noose? Don't we have capital punishment? Isn't he a mass murderer on a scale that makes, you know, the entire Nazi Germany look like I don't. It, oh well, never mind. We could bring Ben Glenn back on, but we already know what he's going to say. Next one up. All right, uh, Texacana Gazette reports Brazilian protests are um, intensifying. Bolsonaro stays silent, and that's because down in Brazil, when they know they've been stiffed, like the United States was in 2000. Uh, they go to the streets in the millions. They don't have like these little 200 people groups or 400 people groups or whatever. But, you know, of course, Brazil doesn't have a fake January 6th so-called insurrection. Oh, for crying out loud, is it a crazy it, – oh, it's just hard to wake up in the morning. It's like, oh, man, am I still here? Is this for real? All right, praise God. Next one up. Smart cities worldwide are being converted into open concentration camps, sex says ex-Silicon Valley engineer turned whistleblower. So this guy knows because he's on the inside and he's helping program the systems that are going to be running these giant cities that are going to be turned into concentration camps. Well, we've got more of those all over the place, too. All right. Praise God. I was having a conversation with this billion-dollar company and some of the executives, and uh, we started throwing jokes around a little bit on – you know, can you believe this happened? And one thing led to another. And I realized that these guys all knew about FEMA camps and everything. These are executives of major corporations. God is really waking up a lot of people. Next one up. World Net Daily reports, police put me in a psychotic, a psychiatric ward for COVID misinformation. Dr. Thomas Binder. Uh, next one up. Praise God. Russia advances a bill to criminalize promoting LGBT, LMNOPQRSDUV, WXYNZ, um, Cheche. I don't know the Chinese. I can say a couple of Chinese Mandarin words, but that's about it. I did that for a joke because I had to do a job up in New York for a Chinese bank. But anyway, um, next one up. Biden agrees to build on the success of the vaccine passports. Well, what is it talking about? He's just saying that he he joined a group of 20 leaders to sign the the United States rights away. So the Bill of Rights and the Constitution no longer exist because we're part of this global world that is agreed to handle the future health pandemics all together in the same way. Of course, Klaus Schwab said that China was our role model. Think we ought to pay attention, maybe. Anyway, next one up. Hallelujah. Red alert. New World Health Organization pandemic treaty is in its final stages. Hello, McFly. McFly. McFly, anybody home? Okay, well, guess what? That's exactly the one. This dictatorship, this World Health Organization pandemic. Look, the WHO, who's it run by? The Antichrist, Obama. The United States of Babylon the Great. The House of Windsor. The shape-shifting reptilians, that's who it's run by. The Blue Bloods, it's the same group of Illuminati freaks, shape-shifting entities from the bowels of Sheol, okay, and, and they're all running it. World Health Organization, uh, International Monetary Fund, World Bank, uh, the Swiss banks of transfer, SWIFT, the whole thing, it's all owned. So when the, so when the petrodollar collapses, let me tell you something. 
It's going to be huge. And Russia and all the BRICS nations joining together and setting up their own uh, uh, banking system, absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Next one, Next headline says, Northern Hemisphere's snow is covered to the second highest it's ever been in 17 years. So it looks like we're going to have a lot of snow this year. Praise God. Next one up. Iran to enrich uranium to 60% purity at the Fordow nuclear facility. Remember that the uh, United States, in uh, cooperation with the Israeli Air Force, has been flying F-35 sorties inside of Iran to see if their air defense systems could spot them because, you know, uh, the F-35 is a very stealth craft. Well, evidently, they didn't see them. That's interesting. And it's very interesting that they flew those sorties because that's exactly how they plan on taking out the Fordow facility with tactical nukes. Oh, and by the way, Israel has a history of not playing by the rules. So you can have all these, you know, anti-nuke treaties and agreements and, you know, hey, you know, we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to agree not to use tactical nukes because then that opens up the door for other countries to use nukes and it'll escalate and yada, yada, yada. Nu Israel doesn't give a darn. Okay. And we know that because they took the, the, uh, the, the Stuckness virus that was created to attack Iran. They stole it from the other cyber uh, defense agencies that they were cooperating with, and they released it on their own without any cooperation at all. They didn't care. To them, it's survival. So believe me, believe you me. When they decide they're going to go in and take out the Fordow facility, they will not have a they will not have a nanosecond of hesitation to use tactical nukes. Every other country in the world would, but not them. <laughs> so watch out; that could happen any time. All right, praise God. Next one up. Jerusalem Post reports action on Iran needs to be accelerated, Kohavi warns the United States officials that he's been cooperating with to do the practice drills with the F-35s. Hmm. Could be closer than we think. Next one up. NASA warns asteroid could impact the Earth in five months. One month, two months, three months, four months. No. It's not adding up. No. No, it's not the one. Daggone it. No, it's not the one. It's just not adding up. The, the other prophecies have to happen first. All right, next one up. Sign of the Time News reports southern states are hit by 23 tornadoes overnight, and more are expected. It's kind of like a weird time of the year to be having like 20 tornadoes. That is like super, you know, like day after tomorrow stuff there. Next one up. An opinion poll was written, and this particular individual, Gregory Copley, says, is the unthinkable collapse of the communist China now thinkable because of all of the riots, chaos, and mayhem over the COVID-forced lockdowns, et cetera, and the murder of their own population by their own government? Which, by the way, that's part of the master plan anyway. If you are like me. Now, I could stop and play you an audio clip of a whistleblower that was working for an intelligence agency that was also working within China, and he, found, he got a hold of some recorded information and found out that the Chinese CCP government was already planning on wiping out their own population. So they're all going to die anyway. They just don't know it. But is this true? No, it's not true. China is... The role model, according to Klaus Schwab, who is clearly a Nazi, 
And so is the whole group that works with them. They fly the swastika. They're not shy about it. They show up at the G20 conference. They shouldn't be there, but they are. It's it's What it's doing is it's greasing the rails. It's telling all of the other world leaders these guys are running the show. Oh, Bill Gates was there, too. I mean, if you really want to get, you know, nauseous, ad infinitum, pectate kind of thing, yeah, Bill Gates was there. That doesn't make make you want to – every time I see a pink sweater, I just want to upchuck all over the floor and J.C. Penny. But I don't go there anymore, so thank God for that. All right, thank you, Jesus. Next one up. Daily Mail, China clamps down on any anti-regime uprisal. Shanghai cops assault protesters calling for the an- – okay, so now I'm just going to tell you like it is. They have facial recognition systems all over the place. They have facial recognition systems built into um, eyeglasses that the police wear. Okay, and so the reason I'm bringing this up is while those riots were taking place, they were taking highly sophisticated facial recognition shots of the rioters, and they can actually look at their eyes. So even though they they think they're cool because they're wearing a mask, no, they're not. And they're going to be arrested. Which leads into the next report. Gateway Pundit reports China is building the world's largest quarantine camp in Gongzhou with 90,000 isolation pods. Oh, by the, by the way, the, the concept of a pod, that's a very real concept. These little pods that they're going to shove people in, have like a quarter of the space of a jail cell at the uh, uh, at the Colorado Supermax. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, you can read between the lines. You can see where this is all heading. Hopefully, you can. And if you don't know about the ghost cities, type that in. Type it into Google. Type it into DuckDuckGo. Take your pick. Just type. Chinese ghost cities, and you will discover, it's very overt, very out in the open, that there are entire cities, skyscrapers of, of very teeny-weeny little apartments stacked up on top of one another. And, and as far as the eye can see, and not a single car on the street, not a single person anywhere to be found, they are propped up and they are ready because they are, that is where they're going to put the, the, the survivors, the ones that do not take the mark of the beast. They're going to take them, they're going to corral them up, and take them to other cities because they're going to they're going to be the ones that worship Satan directly, you know the Antichrist. Um, are there going to be other locations? I don't know, but that's going to be epicenter of the world for the poor people that unfortunately didn't get it early enough. Praise God, thank you, Jesus. Next one up. Netherlands seeks to close 3,000 farms by threatening farmers with compulsory land buyouts if they refuse voluntary offers to comply with the EU climate laws. So basically, they're telling you, hey, you guys can farm all you want, but we're not going to give you any fertilizer. We're not going to give you any of this. And if you and if you and if you raise cows or pigs or whatever, and they're you know too much flatulence, we're going to hit you with a massive tax because you know that's you know anyway. I don't even like talking about it because it's so absolutely beyond insane. It's unreal. Next one. Austrian grocers to hand out food rations during blackouts. It's pretty creepy. So they're preparing. They're preparing to get ready to hand out food rations to people during blackouts because of what? The United States orchestrated destruction of the West. Which, by the way, is in the fourth seal, because it says the quarter, you know, the, the pale horse is death, and you know, quarter of the world is affected by death, and what is the quarter of the world? 
Okay. This is orchestrated. This is like, you know, a Michael Jackson concert. <laughs> you know, Obama and Biden and Klaus Schwab and the Castle Windsor and all these shape-shifting creeps, they're moonwalking over our faces. Most people don't get it. Next one up. Beijing says, uh, the, or Beijing from the Beijing report, it says the United States has taken up the issue that the Chinese threat. They're using the Chinese threat to use it as an excuse for building up a nuclear arsenal and maintaining military hegemony. Yeah, that and everything else under the sun. All right, praise God. But no. And, and by the way, these reports that you hear about, you know, China's going to imminently attack Taiwan and there's probably going to be, you know, and then it's going to turn into a nuclear exchange and yada, yada, blah, blah. I'm not going to mention websites, but they're very, very popular. I'm here to tell you, bunk. It's not going to happen. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, you know, when your month when Amos 3, 7, surely the Lord God does nothing without first revealing it through his servants, the prophets. And if you're listening to some boohooing young lady who loves Jesus on YouTube, be careful. I got 11 years of experience with them being wrong. Okay. Just letting you know. I'm not saying anything bad, good, indifferent. I'm just giving you a heads up. All right. Next one up. China to punish Internet users for liking posts in the crackdown after the zero COVID protests. So they're, if a person said, you know, if there was a post on a social media site and, and, they, and they saw people protesting and they said, I like it, and they clicked the little like button, well, guess what? Government's looking for all the people that liked it, and they're putting them under arrest and taking them to the camps. All right, next one up. Praise God. Uh, NATO seeks up to buttress Russia's, Russia's uh, neighbors as Moscow attacks Ukraine on mul- multiple fronts. So if you think that there's anything, there's a lull in the game, like they want you to believe that Russia's running for their lives, and like they want you to believe that this is happening and that is happening, like they want you to believe, it's bunk. I can tell you right now, Russia is continuing to onslaught. They're, they're shooting missiles like crazy. The calibers are go- flying every day. They're taking out infrastructure like crazy, and they are getting ready to roll up 200,000 men, and they're going to go in and finish the job but they got to wait until the ground completely freezes or all of their military equipment will get stuck in mud that's like four foot deep that's something that ukraine is kind of famous for all right praise god thank you jesus as a matter of fact the nazis ran into it when they were heading to stalingrad all right praise jesus next one up oath keepers roads uh oath keepers roads guilty of january 6th seditious conspiracy now i'm not pro-con anything any keepers, okay, but I'm very against the January 6th thing, and I think Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi should be in gallows, drawn and quartered, really. But, you know, let's just pretend for a second that she's not a shape-shifting reptilian, which is highly unlikely. Well, then, I suppose, Father, if it's at all possible, please save her soul. In Jesus' name, forgive her before she dies and goes to hell forever and ever. Amen. All right, the next one up. The most crucial industrial fuel faces global shortage. Now, uh, not only did we have the threat that during the Thanksgiving weekend that the diesel was going to run out and shut down the United States and collapse the petrodollar, well, they snuck by and they got some more, you know, diesel. But now uh, they are – Zero Hedge has done some research, some deep dive research, and they have discovered that the diesel shortage is massive and it's global. And they are letting people know with these reports, by the way, one of them's from Bloomberg, that the world markets have worsened horribly so, and the threat of a diesel wipeout kind of a situation is very real. 
Again, if that happens, folks, I'm telling you, collapse of the petrodollar will be the result. Next one up. Iran reveals ideal targets to bomb Israel. So they're already lining it up. No surprise there. Next one up. Klaus Schwab, our favorite Nazi, says God is dead and the WEF is acquiring divine powers. He actually said that. Yep. Yep. That's how sick and twisted this is. Gee, I wonder. I guess they're going to introduce Obama after Satan incarnates the abomination of desolation. Standing in the holy place incarnates into Obama. His eyes turn bright red and he says, I am the new leader. And Klaus Schwab comes out and says, I told you we are, we are, require, we are acquiring divine powers. You know, because we are taking over the world and we, have, we are going to send you to prison camps. And they will say, work will set you free. Next one up. American Military News reports San Francisco is going to vote on whether or not their police robots may use deadly force. Mommy, mommy, can I have this apple here over here? It looks so delicious. And the little kid picks up the apple and shows it to his mom. And one of the robots goes, thief, thief, red alert. And the little kid goes splattering all over the sidewalk. I mean, that's kind of garbage what we're heading for. This is unbelievable. I don't want to be here for this. Barley harvest. Anybody paying attention up there? Lord Jesus, come. Let's get this over with. Next one up. Next COVID-19 strain may be more dangerous, according to lab studies. (laughs) What lab would that be? The one where they had 80% mortality up in Boston University? Oh, hell well. Next one up. Insanity. Now they claim there are more than, I'm sorry, I had the number one. There are now more than 130 gender options, including gender blank. And I am not going to read this and try to figure out gender blank because whenever I read any of these articles about this stuff, it just makes me want to, well, (sighs) K.O.Pectate is your best friend. Anyway, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. On that note, let's go ahead and bring on Brother Mohammed Faridi. Uh, and I'm just so happy you could join us tonight because, uh, you know, we had that technological blow up the last time and we had to reschedule him. And I'm just, I'm just we're just so blessed to have him. Praise God. And let's go ahead and bring him on right now. Praise God. Uh, Brother Muhammad, are you there? I'm here. Praise Jesus. Hey, I didn't I don't know if I told you when I called you with uh or, or, you know before when we had the tr- trouble with the show, but the way that we like to go ahead and run the show is like an electronic ecclesia, like an electronic church and um and so, you know, just as if you were giving your testimony inside of a church, the pastor would say, and now this is Brother Muhammad, and he's going to give his testimony, and then he would turn the podium over to you and the microphone over to you, and then you would talk to the congregation. I don't like to mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, interrupt people's testimonies. I like the Holy Spirit to lead them, to share everything they feel led to share. So I'm going to go ahead and turn the microphone over to you. I'm not going anywhere. I'll be right here. Uh, and then, uh, and if you need me or whatever, you just, you know, or you need to ask a question or whatever, feel free. I'll be right here. Um, but um, I, I would love for you to just go ahead. Feel very welcome because you are brother. God bless you. And we're very excited to have you tonight. And we'd love to hear whatever you're willing to share about your testimony, your journey through life and how you got brought uh, to this 
awesome place to be, especially during the dark days that we're in right now. So on that note, I'm going to turn the mic over to you and just say once again, thank you and God bless you for joining us. Hello, brother, and uh, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Muhammad Amin Faridi. I am the president of Iranian Christians International in the city of Colorado Springs, and um, I was born in the country of Iran uh, during the war between the country of, uh, some, some, some people call it Iran, some people call it Iran, or Iran, depending where you are, but uh, correctly is Iran. When I was born, the country of Iran was fighting against Iraq or Iraq. And um, uh, my my uncle, two of my cousin, cousins, died in that war. And uh, uh, the the generation that, that was birthed into this war, uh, which is me, my brothers, many of my cousins, the uh, people that they were born, into this uh, war are called the generational war. So we were we were born in the middle of bombing and bombers and rockets and you know uh, bloodshed. And um, remember when I when I was growing up, the hero, the idol of our time was a 13 year old uh, uh, teenager that was a suicide bomber, and uh, his picture was drawn all over the place and uh, he was revered in the books in the text in uh, on TV as as the hero of our time uh, you know in American uh, culture in the Western culture you watch Marvel you want to be Captain America or wh- whoever you know a Batman or Spider-Man our uh, Marvel character was a 13 year old suicide bomber supposedly when the tanks was when the tanks the Iraqi tanks were rolling into his city, he uh, put I uh, picked up grenade from a dead body, one of the dead soldiers. He put around himself and and threw himself in an, in front of a tank, and kin- killed himself and stopped the invasion. And uh, this teenager became the hero. So we looked up to him, and we wanted to be like him. So we wanted to be jihadists and martyrs for uh, Islam and for Allah. And, um, you know, we, you know as, as Shia Muslims, as Iranian Muslims, we prayed uh, five times a day and we fasted. We uh, did a lot of religious uh, things that Muslims do, but none of it was satisfactory to the God of Islam. And you always have to do more because this God is never is pleased with you. This God, was, this God is always wants to, to do more. The more you do, the more there is to do until it takes your life. And the greatest thing you can do as a good Muslim is to lay down your life for the sake of Allah and his prophet. Um, <clears throat> uh, I never forget that um, uh, we Shia Muslims, we mourn uh, when we want to communicate to God we go through the dead imams. The imams are the supposedly the prophets and the uh, and the, the the son-in-law, the sons, the people that are, according to the Islamic belief, are sinless. They have a special place with Allah. They are the medium, the intercessors. So those those imams 
uh, they uh, we we mourn uh, for uh, we commemorate their death. We mourn for them, and uh, during the ceremonies of uh, buying favor with this people that uh, that therefore these people that they have a special place with Allah, they will supposedly um, will kind of grant you a better place in uh, paradise or they help you to escape the judgment. They, they, these intercessors in Islam, they will help you to escape uh, the sin, the, the judgment, the um, fire of hell. So uh, this, this dead imam, their shrines are all over the Islamic world. We have many of them in Iran, and so uh, whenever it's their anniversary, the day of their anniversary of death, we gather in their shrines, in the mosques that build on their graves, and we mourn, we mourn for them. That uh, the belief is, if you cry for them, if you weep for them, if you uh, shed a uh, tear, these, these supposedly these. Uh, mediums, these intercessors, are these dead people that they have a special place with Allah, they will kind of connect you to Allah. They would uh, buy a special place for you. Therefore, uh, when, it, when it was that time, you gather in the shrines and it's time of mourning, so there's black banners all over the place. And um, there, is a, uh, there is a sheikh, there is a uh, Muslim clergy, the Isla- an Islamic leader, stands in front and uh, recites a eulogy. But this eulogy is not your typical eulogy that you experience in the West. It's a eulogy that has rhymes in it. It has beats. So with those, and then you chant the names of those dead imams. And by the rhymes of that eulogy, it's just like a uh, very rhythmic, very, uh, it's like a song that they sing this for you. And then you chant the names of those imams. And while you do that, because it's a time of mourning, you're crying, you're wailing, and, you, and, and the clergy or the, or the Islamic imam or the leader, whoever is the person in charge of that, this ceremony, this uh, uh, so-called, in quotation, the time of worship, it provokes the people, start beating themselves. Uh, they thump themselves on their chest and then the side of their heads, and uh, sometimes you have uh, chains and other objects to lash yourself, to self-flagellate, and um, you beat yourself in order to pay the penance, because you have sinned, you have, um, you're, you're uh, unholy, you're filthy, and you're condemned, so now you're paying for those penance by beating yourself and punishing yourself to rid of to, to rid yourself of the uh, guilt and the condemnation that is in you. I remember um, nine days in a row I attended these ceremonies. Nine days in a row I beat myself so much physically that on the 10th day I was, my body was so broken. I had a bruised chest. Uh, my back was hurting. And I, I, bit, I beat myself so much that on the 10th day I couldn't get out of bed to go and punish myself more for the sake of Allah, and because I was so, when I breathed, my chest would hurt, my lungs uh, felt like it was going to collapse on me, and, and I couldn't, on the 10th day, I couldn't get out to go beat myself, and I was so ashamed of myself, I said, what kind of a Muslim are you, 
but this is the least asked of you, and you can't even fulfill it. And uh, this is the environment. I'm, 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 expla- I'm explaining to you what kind of environment I was in as a Muslim. Uh, there, is a, there, there, there was an upset God. There was a God that is angry. There was a God that is uh, uh, displeased with me. And I was, as a slave, trying to buy and earn his satisfaction. I was trying to gain a closer place with him. But because I was unholy and I couldn't, the more I tried to be religious, the further this God seemed to be getting from me. The more I tried to run toward him, it seems that he's running away from me. And I I dealt with a lot of disappointment and hopelessness growing up as a Muslim. And uh, I remember once uh, uh, I went to a pilgrim. I went to the pilgrimage in the southeast Iran, which is a, which is a very revered site of the Shia Muslims. And uh, there are a lot of Muslim scholars there. They have set up offices around that area. And uh, it's the Mecca of the Shia Islam, which is in the northeast Iran. And I went there and uh, to try to connect to this dead person, to this dead imam, to this, to this shrine, and try to connect to him that in order to get uh, a close relationship, to be, to be in a close relationship with Allah. But the more I was trying to do my religious duties, it seemed that's so empty. So uh, I went to a, a Muslim scholar, one of those scholars that has studied Islam for many years, and they have uh, gained some of the highest levels in the Islamic uh, uh, jurisprudence and in Islamic places. I went to him and asked him, uh, uh, Sir, what, what do I need to do in order to know that God is pleased with me? And the more I talked to him, the, the more I realized the man doesn't know himself. He's He's a blind, leading blind. He had no idea what was he doing there. And I said, um, the more I'm trying to uh, get closer to Allah, it seems that he's further from me. And then the answer he gave me shattered my hope, my, my, uh, my little hope that left in Islam. He said to me, my son, you need to do more. You need to do more. You're not worthy yet. You're not worthy enough. And I, and I thought to myself, my God, all of this self-harm, after all of this prayers, after all of this fasting, after all of being so pious, this man is telling me I have to do more. And I lost hope. And uh, after I finished high school, uh, you have to serve your uh, country the, uh, uh, the, as in a military service, so for two years, and it's mandatory. But because I was a religious soldier, uh, uh, they put me in the Revolutionary Guard of Iran. It's known as, known as IRGC, Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps. It's a terrorist organization. And I was trained by a terrorist. Uh, this is the uh, army that keeps the Islamic regime uh, safe in Iran and does all the proxy wars of Iran outside of Iran. And um, I was trained by them. I did my um, 
two years of military service. There was a lot of spiritual things that I dealt with as a soldier and as, as an Islamic soldier. There was a lot of things about, for example, shooting guns or being trained uh, as a soldier, how to um, uh, 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 dissemble minds, and so many trainings such as that, physical training, this and that, as a soldier. But more of the training was a spiritual. I remember they took us to the southwest Iran, which is uh, the border to Iraq, the country of Iraq, and uh, they called this movement, they called this part of the training the on the path to light, and uh, it is it is it's like a mission trip. So they took us on this mission trip to reunite us with the spirit of jihad, with the spirit of martyrdom. They took us to the war zone when um, in nineteen uh, uh, eight uh, in 1980s the war started and it lasted eight years till 1988. Hundreds of thousands of Muslims were killed. They uh, gave their life willingly. As I shared, my uncle was one of them. They voluntarily gave their life, joined the war, and supposedly climbed, uh, they climbed the ladder to paradise because war in Islam is that ladder that you climb and go directly to paradise. And they took us to that place to, uh, which most of the war happened between these two countries, Iran and Iraq. And when we arrived in that area, they told us to take off our boots and uh, supposedly, uh, uh, this is a, this is the holy land. They said, and they said that um, this land was watered by the blood of the martyrs, and uh, uh, this is a holy ground that you step in. So take off your boots. And part of the training was that they put us in empty tombs and graves of those martyrs, and they uh, during the night, and uh, they put us in those empty tombs and graves that supposedly 20, 30, 40 years ago. Some shaheed, some martyrs, some people that they died, they put them there. But um, now it's our time to uh, to be reuniting ourselves with their spirit, with the spirit of martyrdom, with the spirit of jihad. That we we, we fight the fear of death by doing things like this. So this was my training and many more things that I have uh, experienced when I was a soldier. After after I finished my military service, I came out. I uh, um, was wondering what what is going to happen to my life, what is going to happen to my future. And uh, I had a friend of mine that we grow up together since uh, age six. And um, this man, this friend of mine, had his flat had 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 his feet flat, so he was medically exempt from the military service. And when I was away. For a couple of years, I didn't know what is he doing with his life. I was just fresh out of the military service, and I didn't know uh, what the future holds for me and what am I going to do. I attended mosques, and I was doing my uh, 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 normal living, but I wasn't sure what am I going to do. And uh, I called this friend of mine, and uh, he said he wants to uh, – he told me that he wants to come and see me. And I said, Okay. So I went up, um, had a motorcycle, went picked him up, and uh, after talking to him about 10, 15 minutes, I realized the man has changed. The more I looked into his face, the more I chatted with him, 
I realized there's something really strange going on. And uh, he's not the same man anymore. He's not, he doesn't talk like before. He's changed tremendously. And he was so calm, so peaceful. I felt there's, there's a uh, light coming out of him. There's a um, peace that is coming out of him that I, it really bothered me. And um, I kept asking him, and then he would say, no, I'm okay. I don't know. Nothing has changed. And I, I just insisted. I was, uh, I was just very confused about what is going on. And, and then he told me that he, he, he has converted to Christianity. This was in uh, 2006 in the city of Tehran in the country of Iran. The man, the man uh, my friend, put his life in danger to tell me that the cause of the change in his life is Jesus Christ and Christianity. To my Muslim mind, because we're fatalists, uh, uh, Muslims are Muslims, Muslim belief, one of the pillars of Islam, the teachings of Islam, one of the doctrines of Islam is faith, fatalism. And uh, everything in Islam is predestined, preordained by you. You don't have responsibility in anything. Everything is... Uh, been predestined, it's been chosen by Allah in your life. The meaning of that is that when you're born a Muslim, you will die a Muslim. You cannot change your religion. You cannot change and uh, become anything because if you do that, you, you have to have more power than Allah, the God of Islam. It's impossible. I was so confused when he said he became Christian. You can't become anything. In the context I'm coming from, you don't become anything. It is just uh, you're born a Muslim, you die a Muslim. You just can't change that. And when he said that, I argued with him. I asked many questions, but it was just none of it was making any sense. He just calmly explained about the goodness of God, about Jesus Christ, about the changes that the Lord has made in their life. But none of it made any sense to me. And after about talking extensively for about two hours. It was just like frustrating. We were getting anywhere and I couldn't understand what what he's talking about. And and then the man told me that this friend of mine explained to me, didn't you ask the reason for this change? Didn't uh, 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 why are you upset about me having peace? Why are you 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 want to know what is the reason for this feast? But you don't want to know the answer. I'm telling you, it is Jesus. And he said, I will tell you the last thing. And after this, I'm, I'm not going to talk to you. It's just, uh, this is, this is uh, getting any, anywhere. But he said this sentence and he changed my life forever. He said, Jesus was bruised. He was beaten. He was crucified. He was nailed to the cross. He gave up his life. And if you believe in this, you will have eternal life. This is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. This is absolutely the best thing I have ever heard in my life. Everything I was trying to do as a Muslim, everything I was trying to earn, to gain, to do on my own, I was beating myself. I was bruising myself. I was cutting myself. I would take a sword and hit my head in order to shed my own blood 
in order to be sanctified, in order to be get closer to God. I would do all of this thing to, to, these things to my body to punish myself, to self-flagellate in order to pay the penance. The more I did it, the further God was. And I was, couldn't achieve nothing as a religious Muslim. And then when he told me that God has done all of this for my sake, it just, it just dawned on me. It, the power of the gospel, the word of God pierced my heart and I, was, and I fell on my knees and I begged him, what do I need to do? Every lie that it was told, I was, I was told, every lie that I was told, that somehow I have to do to earn salvation, to, to, to gain God's approval. Every one of those lies, by self-flagellating and dying and, and, and laying my life in jihad and, and being a martyr for Allah, it, which wasn't working. The more religious, the more Islamic, the more Muslim I become, the emptier it was. Everything, every lie was just exposed in a matter of seconds when I heard the gospel. And I fell on my knees and I begged my friend. I said, please tell me what do I need to do? And he said, you need to repent of your sins. And you need to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. Invite him to come to your life. And I closed my eyes. And I asked for forgiveness. And I said, God, I can't do it. I can't do this. I can't do this without you. I've been trying. And it hasn't been working. Would you forgive my sins? And I make Jesus the Lord of my life. And as soon as I opened my eyes, I was 23 year old at that time. And for for the first time in 23 years, I saw colors. And I said, oh my goodness. I looked around. It was a dimension added to life. The spirit man that was dead, that was in enmity to God, that was born in sin, conceived in sin, all of a sudden, he was made alive. It was quickened unto God. Dimension added. I saw the colors and the beauty. And that war I had with myself, that I was running, working, striving to please God. That war I had with myself that brawl that was going on in, within me, it just came to an end in the matter of seconds. And for the first time in 23 years, I felt peace. The war was over, just felt peace. And I asked my friend, what is going on? What is happening to me? And he said, Jesus has came to your life. I said, where, where is he? And that was the beginning of the end.
And that was the pivot point. That was the point that everything in my life was changed for good. It's amazing. Where 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 were you? How did it change your life afterwards? Did you? How did things lead you to? I mean, where are you living now? I, I assume all this stuff happened when you were still in Iran, or you know, uh, what was the next thing that happened? I mean, did you did you end up moving away? Did you know people that you could? Did you move into a, a place where you were able to join a uh, maybe um, you know a fellowship or something where you could learn more more about the Lord? I mean, how how did your life progress after you'd been born again? Which really was what was happening to you when your spirit had come alive and you were like, wow, you know, it's like everything has changed. That that's the moment, you know, and and you know, but but where were you? Where were you in Iran at the time? And you know, and as as such, did you? Hey, well, gosh, I don't want to live here anymore. I want to move on. I want to go to where I can be with other believers and 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 you know live uh, openly a Christian life without you know danger of being killed and things like that. I mean, what happened next? So um, I wish it wasn't it, it was as easy as as you say. <laughs> I tried to explain it, but when I accepted the Lord. After that moment, uh, I'm in Iran, I'm in the city of Tehran, and I became an apostate. When you leave Islam for any, any religion or, or any ideology outside of Islam, you are an apostate. An apostasy in Iran, according to Sharia of Islam, according to the Islamic law, is punish, punishable by death. So when I converted to Christianity... And I left Islam. I became an apostate. So I signed my death warrant. I just, I just, it's like, it's here. I'm, I'm, worthy, I'm worthy to die. I went from jihad to Jesus. And now, because I'm a traitor, I have left Islam, I'm worthy to die. And uh, after uh, my conversion to Christianity, I went, uh, after that day, that moment, my friend left, and I went uh, uh, toward, uh, toward my home. And I was thinking to myself, I, I literally came, came uh, uh, to a, a crossroad, to a place that I had to make a decision. Because I thought to myself, if whatever this friend of mine, he just shared with me, and whatever just happened to me, if this is the truth, if Jesus is truth, if, if the death of death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ is truth, so whatever we have believed so far as a family, as a community, as a society, is a lie. So if Jesus is the truth, all of the history of this country, all of the people around me, all of these educated, supposedly, relatives I have, which are, they're all Muslims. They all have been deceived. They all have been lied to. This was the crisis that I had to deal with. And um, on the way to home, I thought to myself, before I tell anyone about 
my conversion. Before I, before, before I tell anyone about what just happened to me, I need to make sure. I need to really know that Jesus has really died for my sins. I want you to understand because many of the Muslims coming to Christ, they have this crisis pre-conversion. Mine happened post. And uh, I came to this uh, difficult situation that I had to deal with it because it could, I said to myself, maybe this was just an emotional moment. This was just something has happened. I need to investigate this matter before I talk to anyone. So um, about a week uh, or two after my conversion, uh, my friend told me that he wants me to take, take me to a place. And I said, uh, where is that? He said, we want to go to church together. And I said, uh, we go to church? You know, um, church is a place that um, is an unclean place. It's dirty to a Muslim mind. A Christian is dirty. When they touch a Christian uh, uh, person or a dog or blood, they're, they're filthy elements, just like um, Judaism, it's in, which is... Um, taken to Islam and get, got twisted. Muslims have those un, unholy and filthy objects that when they touch that, they become filthy, so they have to wash themselves in a ceremonial way. Church Christianity is one of them. And uh, uh, this when my friend told me we're going to go to a church, I was like, what is he talking about? I mean, it's just not going to be right. And Anyway, I'm on a journey to know I'm on a, on a journey to discover if Jesus has really died for my sins. And uh, so I went with him, and uh, uh, this is a long story. I wrote a book called Forsaking My Father's Religion. If uh, any of your uh, uh, audience wants to get a copy, they're, uh, they're absolutely free. They can go to our website called iranchristian.org. Iran Christians or Iran or Iran IranChristians.org and there is a tab in the middle of the website you can get my book absolutely for free you can click that and uh, fill the form and I will be glad to send it to you and uh, or if you want a, just a PDF uh, format I, I, I can send that to you but this is a long story uh, the history of church because when I mentioned churches you would be thinking well, there are no churches in Iran, which is absolutely true. The churches are belonging to the Armenians, which fled the genocide during the World War I and World War II. The Armenians fled genocide from Turkey to Iran, and when they came to Iran, Iran was under a monarch, and the king allowed these refugees to come to Iran. The king was a secular, and, it, and, and uh, uh, we didn't have... Iran running by the Sharia like today after the revolution so these Armenians came to Iran as refugees and they have their own communities and among those communities there are churches but they're not open to Muslims all to say that when I was going to a church I was going to an Armenian church and uh, um, they don't let you go into these churches because you're Muslim 
and the Armenians don't trust the Muslims. So, uh, but the way we got saved, it's my friend talked to me, but the person that talked to my friend was his aunt, which was in a taxi, and the taxi driver was the pastor of the Armenian church. So, the pa- so we had some contact. All to say is that we had contact in this Armenian church, and then we were able to make it to the church. And um, that day I went to the church. I had an encounter with God. The, the presence of God, the cloud of the glory of God, just I had an, I cannot, there are no words to express this. I just had an encounter with the presence of the Holy God. And within myself, two times I heard, your home, your home. And my friend, after the church service. Yeah, I love that. Praise God. That's awesome. And um, after the church service, uh, my friend bought me a New Testament out of his pocket. He paid for the, for the New Testament which is an illegal book in Iran. And uh, he bought this uh, New Testament, and he told me that this is the living word of God written for me, and if I read it, God will speak to me. And as I explained to you, this was a journey that I was on to know if really Jesus has died for my sins. So I took the book home. I took the New Testament home, and in one week's time, from Friday through Friday. I read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, five times each. I could not put the book down. The, the, the Word of God is real. The Word of God is true. The Word of God is alive. And this Word, this book, uh, it was speaking to me. The more I read it, the more it connected to me. I, it wasn't me reading the book. It was the book reading me. It was an amazing book. It was to the point that I said, this cannot be true. This book knows my past, my present. It talks about my future. It has solution to my problems. This is an incredible book. Who can write such a book and Expose all the hypocrisy that is in the religion that I was a part of. And I give you, I have many examples, many passages of the scriptures that talk to me personally during that week. One of them is Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me who all labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I looked at the book and I said, How do you know I need rest? How do you know? that I was heavy, that I was laboring. How is this even possible? And this book talked to me. The more I read it, the more convinced I was that this, is, this cannot be written by man. This cannot be inspired by man. This has to be God. And uh, the Sermon of the Mount was one of those passages of the scriptures that Tremendously spoke to me, and so many other, so many. I can, it's limitless the amount of the scriptures that talk to me. And uh, the more I read it, the more I read the Bible, the more I was convinced this is the Word of God. And um, series of things. And then uh, another miracle happened that I saw a healing, 
a drastic healing of a man that was dying of cancer and, and, and the Lord Jesus uh, healed him. This was a Muslim man that uh, he was hopeless. He went a lot of places. He spent all of his money and the doctors gave up on him and uh, he spent all of his money in the shrines and the, he said, the God of Islam, the Imams, they have nothing to offer to me. And um, he was dying out of desperation. He was walking by church and asked the church to pray for him and he was absolutely miraculously healed and he was sharing this in a, in a church service and I said to myself this God is real I have read this stuff in my Bible the Lord says that he's going to heal you and he has he is has, healing this is just not some books some stories some fables from the past from the history when he says he never changes He's the God that was, is, and to come. And he never changes. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. And he's a God of mercy. It, it is real. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. And all of these things, one after another, made me convinced that Christianity is real. And Jesus is Lord. And he, is, he has died for the sin of the humanity. And uh, I went... Uh, I went home and, uh, one of these days uh, because I wasn't attending mosque and my family were suspicious of what was going on with me. And then uh, uh, my dad caught me in my room uh, praying and the way I was praying wasn't the usual Islamic prayer facing Mecca, being in my prayer rod and doing all of that. And then and then uh, uh, when I explained to him I, I, I have become a Christian, he he was a very strong and very violent man. and uh, He cursed me and started beating me up, and I ran away from home. And for, I was away from home four months. I slept on the rooftops and on, on the side, ro- side of the roads. I got beaten by cockroaches. And uh, um, after uh, being out for four months, uh, the friend that introduced me to Christianity took me to their home, and uh, that that. That's where I was uh, introduced to the underground church of Iran. And I realized that there are a lot of Iranians that have converted to Christianity. And a series of things happened. As I I mentioned, I wrote a book about this. It's on our website. You can get a copy of that, uh, iranchristians.org. And um, a series of things, uh, when when I got active in the uh, underground churches and evangelism, then my life was in danger in Iran. So I escaped Iran. And then uh, uh, being away from Iran, uh, uh, I found that there's a thing called asylum. There's a thing called refugee. So I applied as a religious refugee, a person that is his life is in danger, can't go back to his home country. And then uh, America was generous enough um, and gracious enough that uh, granted me asylum and I came here uh, I didn't jump over walls crossing borders illegally I went through the legal process and came to America as a religious refugee and uh, uh, now I have been here in America uh, just a little over 10 years
Wow. Now, now, how, now, how did you get out of Iran? Um, how did you um, get out? Did yeah, you jump on a plane? Uh, you hide in the cargo bay? What did you do? No, uh, I actually left Iran with a bus, and uh, uh, late, oh, okay. later on, I re- yeah, later on I realized that um, the Islamic regime, when uh, they have Christians or other opposition to the government, anything that threatens their power, they have a thing called voluntarily exile. They would tr- they would treat you uh, away. Uh, they make your life so miserable in Iran that, that you eventually will give up and leave Iran. They don't want to go through the trouble of um, putting you in jail and uh, taking you through the court and then uh, uh, shoot you and pay, the, pay for the bullet. They rather you not stay and fight. They rather you to voluntarily just, just uh, get out of Iran. And uh, that's what happened to me. I already thought in the border of Iran I would get caught. I, I said, my name is uh, uh, on the blacklist. They're going to stop me. But uh, I got out. And uh, 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 that's, that's by itself a miracle. It is. Where did you, how did you get out? Through Syria or what? Where did you go? How did you get? How, oh, how did you get to an airplane? Yeah. How did you get a flight ticket? How did you do all that? Yeah, I was in uh, uh, Turkey, uh, country of Turkey, for uh, about three years, and there, I uh, went to the uh, UNHCR. Uh, this is the United Nations Commissioner for the Refugees. After three years of interrogations and uh, presenting my case and uh, uh, lots of up and downs. Lots of unfair and biased uh, interviews toward a Muslim that is converted to Christianity. As I said, it is providential, sovereign act that I made it through this corrupt refugee system that exists. And uh, with prayer and faith, God uh, granted me this thing. And then uh, I came to America in June of 2012. How long did you have to be there? That United Nations, whatever thing in Turkey, how long were you there? Three years. How long? Three years? Three. Dang. That's that's rough, man. That's really rough. Wow. And so what happened then? A particular day came along and they said, you, you know, we have you almost like getting out of jail. We have your release papers. And then what would you do? Get on a bus and go some, to a airport or whatever? How would you get out? No. Uh, out of Turkey? No. No, um, after you are approved as a, a refugee, then uh, the United Nations gives you a case um, to the documents to the uh, whatever country is receiving refugees. That time it was America. And then uh, they got my case, and then they processed my case, and then um, you buy a ticket and you come. Okay, so... Did did you have to buy the ticket? Because you were incarcerated for three years, essentially. Did you actually have to buy the ticket, or did, did the U.N. have like a grant or something that they helped no. you with? You, uh, they buy it, and then you pay later. So it's... Oh, okay. So that, um, that's, that's pretty yeah. cool. So, so it's like a, a, a traveling loan. I don't know how good is that, but uh, you, pay, you pay back. I, I paid um, $1,300 
for my tickets. Uh, no, nah, after all, the, after all you, you've been through, I I would have paid anything to get out of there. Man, that Very is much. rough. Oh my very gosh, much. what a journey! Man, you're you're very um you're very fortunate. I had a uh, friend of mine. Her name was Nimra. I'm actually thinking about seeing if her email still working. I don't know. I'm kind of concerned. She was um she's uh she she was born in a Muslim family in um Lahore, Pakistan, and mm-hmm. um yeah she, she became a Christian and started listening to this radio show because Pakistan was blocking all the YouTube and everything else, so she couldn't get a hold of any anything Christian. And um, mm-hmm. uh, she got a hold of this radio show, and then she heard me give my email address on the radio show, and she emailed me through an account that she set up in the United Kingdom, you know, some kind of a Yahoo account or something like that, at, you know, with mm-hmm. .uk, right? And, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, and we we became friends. I was taking, you know, I would, you know, go into different, like, Christian bookstores and stuff and take photographs of things, and she was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Take her into Walmart and take photographs and show her stuff. She actually took gel pens. She took these gel pens and she um, she actually wrote the entire book of Psalms in her notebook mm-hmm. with gel pens. I was like, oh, my yeah. gosh. And she told me, she said, if my parents find out that I'm Christian and I love Jesus, she says, they will take me out in the street and they will stone me to death. Hmm. And one day yeah. I never heard from her again. I don't know what happened. She said that they were uh, they were starting to get bombed, uh, that there were uh, uh, mortar shells going off near Lahore uh, over the Kashmir region, I guess from India, and um, mm-hmm. um, and and then that was the last I heard of her. I don't know what happened to her after that. I couldn't get in touch with her, but it's kind of sad. I don't know. What happened? I don't. I don't even know if I want to know. You know what I mean? I, I'm kind of hoping that yeah. if she, if something bad did happen, that she's just up in, in heaven with Jesus right now, and she's happy as can be. Which of course she would be. As a matter of fact, I would be. Mm-hmm. And if 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 an angel that showed up in my bedroom right now and said, "Hey man, it's time for you to go, and you're going to die tonight," I'm going to. I would be like jumping for joy. I'd be like, "Hallelujah! Thank God, I can finally go home." <laughs> I, I got nothing on this earth. I'm ready to. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm ready to go mm-hmm. whenever God says. Mm-hmm. It's time to go. Amen. Man, that's a that's a powerful, powerful testimony, brother. And you're operating out of where right now? Uh, what what part of the country? Colorado Springs. Oh, it's very nice there. Pikes Peak. It's gorgeous. I almost went there. Karis Bible College is there with Andrew Womack. Uh, that's that's uh, that's a pretty nice place. Um, um, I I you know I, I'm not saying that, you know I'm, I don't I don't. I don't fancy any particular preachers. I I, I don't follow any of them. Uh, but uh, at one time I did uh, actually consider many, many, many years ago, over uh, 15 years ago, I was thinking about going to Karis Bible College uh, for school. But uh, but yeah, yeah, but Pikes Peak is beautiful. Have you ever gone pike, hiking up there? I'm a, I'm a uh, Karis Bible College graduate. You are. I almost went to Karis yeah. Bible College. Yeah, I've I've been a big fan of uh, uh, a lot of the teachings of uh, uh, Andrew. Um, uh, a lot of them, uh, you know. Um, uh, but anyway, without getting into all of them, uh, for about I would say for about maybe a year, I um, listened regularly and sometimes multiple times to several, uh, you know, a, a portfolio of his free audio teachings, and found them uh-huh. really really good. 
there were a lot of them that were really awesome. Uh, but uh, yeah. that's that's really wonderful to hear that you actually went to the school and everything. That's that's great. I mean, really, in the grand scheme of. If I was to look at all of the Bible colleges in the United States, that and somebody said, "John, you got to pick one. You got to go to one." Uh, I, I would, I would definitely, I would definitely pick that one. I mean, out of everything else is out there, you know, Moody, Oral Roberts, any of the major universities, forget about it. No, I would rather go to Karis because the one thing that I really like about Andrew is Andrew wasn't brought up. Now, I'm not saying he's perfect. Nobody's perfect, but I'm just saying that he was brought up. Um, he, he found the Lord Jesus pretty much on his own. God made his call to him and then he learned his way to where God brought him to in his understanding of Christianity in his own walk. He didn't do it through the Baptist, you know, college he did, or, or the Baptist church. He didn't do it through any other way. He didn't follow any traditions. He didn't follow any church fathers. He went out on his own, sought the Lord on his own, and, and came to the place that God brought him to. And I found that to be very refreshing. I, I, I really appreciated that. Uh, you know, he was independent. I think that independence is really what the Bible says. In John fifteen sixteen. it says, I, Jesus, have appointed you. That's who's speaking, essentially, although it was penned by Paul and the Holy Spirit. I have appointed you mm-hmm. and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and ordained you. I have ordained you to go and, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 spread, you know, you know, to go and spread tr- truth, you know, seeds, and, uh, and that your seeds, you know, that shall remain. Uh, uh, you know, and um, and and really, Jesus is the head of the church. You know, it's you know. So oftentimes, what happens is we we find ourselves stuck in this mm-hmm. churchianity like organization where there's this one particular individual that's you know, like in charge. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and it really mm-hmm. was never yeah. intended to be that. The original Ecclesia never had somebody standing on a podium up in front of everybody telling everybody their version of Jesus. And that 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 doesn't work really well with me. You know what I mean? I believe that we should all be seeking the Lord with our own Bibles ourselves, and we should come together as an Ecclesia, as a gathering, to worship God and to get ourselves pumped so we can go out and touch people's lives like your friend touched yours. Right? Amen? Absolutely. Yeah, and I think I think most of us, when we grow in Christ, we come to that revelation. You know, we start out as babies. We need the the village to raise the child. We need the person to to nurture us and bring us along and read us Bible stories and give us guidance. But I think for those of us who really, really, really want to know the Lord, you know, we 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 kind of branch off. We grab our Bible, we get on our knees, and we go on the journey and. And uh, that journey oftentimes leads us to revelations and Bible mysteries and understandings that are so far uh, beyond where the typical church is 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 at uh, that it's just uh, it's glorious. It's a wonderful walk, and your life is full of many miracles. And you hear God's voice, and you know that He's talking to you, and you you know the guidance, you know the door you're supposed to walk through. You know, like Isaiah 31, um, you know, you will hear a voice behind it in your ears saying this. 
is the way walking it whenever you turn to the left hand or whenever you turn to the right. You know, and, and that that's where we all want to be. We want to be in a place where we're communing with Jesus. We're having that personal relationship with Jesus. We care about the Father. We want to be in his will. We're on our knees. We're residing in the secret place in the Most High, which is a, you know, a condition of even receiving the benefits of Psalm 91. If you're not residing in the secret place of the Most High, if you're not spending your time alone with the Lord, if you're not dedicated to him on that level, then you, guess what? You don't benefit from any of the benefits of Psalm 91. It says, he who set, resides in the secret place of the Most High will get this and this and this and this and this. It's conditional. And people sit there and they all think, you know, oh, I, you know, I'm going to claim Psalm 91. No, you're not claiming diddly. You have to reside in the secret place of the Most High. You have to be with God. You have to care what he thinks. You have to love him with all of your heart. You've got to be in love with Jesus. You've got to sing songs to him. You've got to take communion with him. It's got to be everything to you. And if it isn't a personal relationship and he isn't your first love, you have not arrived. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Brother, I've got to tell you, Muhammad, this has been one of the most powerful testimonies I have heard in a long time time and what you went through to get to the place that you're at right now to touch other people's lives is absolutely awesome. God bless you for stopping uh, in with our program here and sharing that powerful testimony. Will you once again share uh, where, where your website is so that people can go and, and, and look into your books and, and, and seek you out? Absolutely. The uh, website is called Iran. Christians.org, IranChristians.org, and uh, they can get our free book. There's a tab on the on the main page of the website called Free Book. You can they can click on that, and we're glad to send an electronic or the hard copy to them. And it's absolutely free, and uh, our ministry is involved in getting Muslims saved. And uh, just this year, do you do do you do prison ministries? The what reason why I ask if you, do you do any prison ministries? The reason I, I ask, let me just tell you, this. I mm-hmm. used to, and mm-hmm. I remember um, when, when I was there, when I was inside the prisons, there would be these big rows of Muslims doing their uh, prayers, you know, uh, and, mm-hmm. and it was interesting because when I would, on the very rare occasion that I might get to speak to one of them, or someone who knew them, one of the things that they said was that what attracted them so much to Christianity was love. They, 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 that, that was what they didn't understand. They did not understand love. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, wow. You know, to be so dedicated to a religion and not even understand the concept of love, that's got to be kind of scary. Yes, yes. There is, uh, Apostle John says, if you don't know God, you don't know love. And that's the end of the story. There's 1.8 billion Muslims that live in our time, in this uh, hour, that if they, many of them, many of them in Iran, many of them in Pakistan, many of them in Afghanistan, in many places, there are no churches or believers around them that if they want to get saved, after they have a dream, they have an encounter with God, they have a vision, they, there are no places that they can go and seek the truth for themselves. And uh, uh, the Great Commission and what God has called us to do is to preach the gospel to every tongue, 
and every nation that lives on the face of this earth. And I think we have done a uh, we have done a good, okay job so far. But in this last hours, we really need to get involved in this matters and uh, preach the gospel. We are doing it, brother. As I said, uh, just this year we have distributed fifteen thousand Bibles among the Iranians. This is this is happening in Middle East. I have seen the salvation of over 400 Muslims personally this year, and I have baptized 70 of them in, um, in the Middle East. Uh, the, Iran is at the verge of a revolution at this time. Many of the Muslims, many of the Iranians are protesting against the Islamic regime. They are burning the flag. They are burning the uh, Islamic symbols. They are just sick and tired of this, this Islamic regime and this religion that's been forced down their throat for the past 43 years, and they are open for a change, and uh, no change. Nothing can be offered to them better than Christianity, better than the peace that surpasses all understanding that we only can find in the Prince of Peace, in Jesus Christ. And our ministry, with our effort, we are doing it, and it's an absolutely amazing, amazing thing to witness. Uh, if you go on uh, Google and search, it. absolutely. And if you go on Google and uh, search where is the fastest growing evangelical church, you will find that the Iranians are number one in the growth of church and in the growth of Christianity. Iranian people are open. Oh. When we when we talk to them, they they have so many dreams already. God has been encountering them. He has, yes. has visit. They have a visitation and we are just going to be our and the people like us and the believers like us and the ministries like us uh we're just a divine contact for them that they just need yes. to connect their so dreams and visions to the true christianity Okay, so check this out. So check this out. So we had another, uh, this is about 10 years ago, maybe eight years ago, we had another brother that was, uh, I don't know, he was Muslim, but I don't know what country his, his origin was. Uh, and, and he ultimately became a, 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 you know, an evangelist and a, a songwriter and singer. And I think he lives over in New Zealand right now. But anyway, he came on the program and it, it had a wonderful testimony. It was really great. But he, but he was visited by the Lord, by Jesus, in an actual dream. And um, mm-hmm. I said, you're kidding me. That is amazing because we have um, we do a prayer vigil on Friday night and we use spiritual warfare and, and different methods and techniques and stuff as we work our way through the very through the prayer vigil. It's rather lengthy. It usually runs about two hours to three hours. But anyway, <clears throat> part of the way that we've been praying for a long time, as a matter of fact, since the onset of the of it years ago, is um, for God to send down. Uh, you know, angels essentially into people's dreams and visions of the night, like it says in Job thirty-three, fourteen, and fifteen. It says, you know, uh, you know, um, you know. Uh, uh, it says, uh, God speaks once, yea, twice, but man perceiveth perceiveth it not in a dream, in a vision of the night. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, the, to seal their 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 fate and save their souls from the pit. All right. So anyway, um, so get this. So we had already been doing the prayer vigil and praying for God to send. Uh, you know, an innumerable company of angels of light and love into the dreams and visions of people in various parts of the world. That was the method that we were using because, you know, Ezekiel 22, 30, uh, 
that's let me think of this through. Ezekiel 32:10, I think it is, or whatever it says. So I sought for a man amongst them to stand in the gap on behalf of the land, but I found no one. Okay, and and so that's what we were doing, you know, in the prayers, we're standing on the gap on behalf of the land, of the various lands. We, you know, of course, we would cover the Middle East and Sudan, Oman, Gaza, Yemen, uh, you know, all the way up to Turkey, all that, you know. And and anyway, so get this. So we're we're doing these prayers. And we're praying down, you know, first we're casting out the demons. Then, of course, we're protecting them from the demons re-entering them because we have to call down a holy fire to surround them and a thorny hedge of protection to prevent the demons from re-entering them. That's covered in uh, Luke 12, verse 47. Uh, you know, uh, but anyway, uh, so we do it. We were doing all that. Well, th- this guy comes on the radio show. He's like, yes, I-, I met Jesus through a dream. Well, then anyway, so we kept on doing the radio show. And it was about, I don't know, like a year later, because that's how God likes to confirm things. He likes to wait a little while so that you really have a big impact when he, cons- you know, when he confirms something. We, I get sent in this c- communication. It's a link to Gospel Herald Ministries. This is years mm-hmm. after we were already praying this way. And it says, the headline is, Iran is now one of the fastest growing Christian populations as more Muslims are having dreams and visions of Jesus. And it says right here, despite severe persecution and acts of terrorism from ISIS headlining the front pages, Christianity remains strong as an, and is in fact a fast-growing religion in Iran, one of the most hardline Islamic countries in the world today. In a report from CBN, Christian Broadcasting Network, wherein the interviewees, Iran's visiting Kurdistan, uh, have requested anonymity for their protection, former Muslims are revealing that many of them are coming to, th- to Jesus through supernatural dreams and visions. And I was like, wow. And then this guy that was on the radio show, he was like, brother, you are doing the right thing. That is what you want to do. You want to pray that God sends angels into these people's dreams and visions because that's going to tug their heart. That's going to pull them in the right direction. And then they're going to seek the Lord. Praise God. So, wow, what an amazing place for you to be right now because you're like right on the front lines. This is awesome. Absolutely. And uh, it's been a... This has been an amazing journey. It called me, God called me out of the pit of hell, the darkness of Islam. And now he has equipped me with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the light of his kingdom. And now we are uh, taking it back to my people, and they're receptive. It's a great timing of God. It is truly, truly the, the God's timing in this. Because he's visiting a lot of them, and it's, he has he has made us he has made our work a lot easier. When we talk to the people, they say, "Oh, I just had this dream. Can you tell me the meaning of it?" I tell you, many people we have talked to just this year, they have seen a man coming out of a river, a man with a white cloak coming out of the river, and point them to the Bible, to this book, that the answer to the prayers and to the answer to the questions, to the, the answers to the problems of those people are in this book. And when we hand them a book that says the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ on the top of it, as soon as they see it, they say, this is what I was looking for. This is what I've been searching. Yes. I couldn't get my hands on him. And that's, that's when they come to know the Lord. So it's a fascinating time. That's awesome. Oh, no. <clears throat> that is absolutely awesome. That, as a matter of fact, the other fellow that we had on the program, uh, he said, he said, um, 
I saw the man in the white robe. That's what he said. And I was like, wow, that is awesome. Oh, praise God. Well, thank you, brother. Uh, this has been a powerful program, an incredible testimony, and, um, it, and, and what a blessing that you took the time to join us tonight. We thank you with all of our heart. Um, did you feel led to close with a prayer for us? For sure. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray for whoever is listening whoever will be listening, Father, that in this time, in the time that is so many distractions in this world, so many distractions, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you are shaking whatever is going to be shaken because your word and the promises that are in the Bible and whoever's hope that is in Jesus Christ and this rock and in the Bible of the Lord Jesus Christ, it would not be shaken. I ask you in the name of the Lord Jesus that you help this man and woman of God, the remnant that has left, that you help them, Father, to see what you have for them, to not be be distracted, sidetracked by the things of this world, but to be focusing on you and you keep them in perfect peace whose minds are set on you. And you would Reveal yourself to them and you give them a desire for you in this last hour that they run and, and not be weary for doing good, spreading your gospel and being part of your kingdom. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 26, 3. It's right here on my desk. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed upon you because he trusts you. God bless you, Muhammad. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I pray in Jesus' name that the angels and the numerable company of angels are assigned to your ministry and break down walls to stomp on principalities and powers and fight with the, and, and, and break, down the, break down any barriers that stand between your ministry and touching more and more and indeed hundreds of thousands if not even millions of people as the days progressing become darker and boy oh boy do we see that happening right now god bless you brother thank you so much for joining us god bless you goodbye goodbye all right god bless you all for joining us thank you and we will see you at the friday night prayer vigil lord willing uh at 7 p.m hey and if you don't mind say a little prayer for me about that homeowner's insurance inspection (laughs) okay i'd like to keep my house all right thank you all and god bless you all we'll see you then Lord, we come to you with repentant hearts. We seek you with all our might. Sinners set the mercy of grace. Redeemed we are by your embrace. Praise his holy name. Praise the King of Kings. When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound for me? For you we will endure Until you come back for your bride To set her free I shall lift my obedient children to the clouds 
for they shall see my glory. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.